Welcome to the School of Laughs podcast, brought to you by SchoolofLaughs.com. Whether you're an aspiring comedian, a part-time pro, or a speaker who wants to become funnier, this is the podcast for you. We'll break down tools, tips, and techniques to help you get bigger, better, and more bookable. And now, here's the show. Welcome back to the School of Last Podcast. This is Rick Roberts, and this week I'm in San Diego for the National Speakers Association Conference, which is great. Uh, I, I get a ton of useful information about marketing and business out of the group, and I get to bump into some friends I haven't seen in a while, and today we have on the show John Garrett. How's it going, John? Hey, thank you so much, man. Doing great. Hey, I was so excited when I got your notice that you're going to be here, and we could catch up a little bit, and we've already been here for a night, and we've caught up a ton, yeah. and uh, thanks for doing the podcast. John, I'll give you a little bit bit background on on john then i want john to let us know a few more things about him but john's been at this for about 15 years total nine years pro yeah about that and we worked together at a couple of odd gigs back in the day they're (laughs) all odd gigs (laughs) one particular was a chinese restaurant that was trying to do comedy (laughs) that was pretty awesome (laughs) and it was in vincennes indiana next to a railroad track yes and they had an old house that they were renting out for the comics. With right. No right. cable. And it was no cable, March no Madness. antenna. <laughs> like, <laughs> it was the worst possible thing. We ever. went bowling on campus. <laughs> yes. There was like literally no place to eat during the week right. except for the Chinese restaurant right. they were right. at during the day. Right. <laughs> uh, it was horrible. <laughs> and uh, Joker's Comedy Club in Dayton a long time ago we worked. and uh, But it's been, it's been a while. And yeah. since then, you've, you've not only gone full-time, you live in a New York City. Yes. And man, that's got to be, that's just the, the pressure of, of living. Forget about the comedy side of it for a while. Right. How does that, I mean, you're from Indiana originally? Well, my dad was Air Force, so okay. uh, high school in St. Louis, but lived in Indiana for quite a while. So uh, yeah, a little bit of an adjustment. Um, no I doubt. stick out a lot, because uh, <laughs> I'll say things like, please, right. thank you, right? <laughs> and you're not from around here. <laughs> and how long have you been there now? Uh, five years. And, you, and uh, you've already, you've got the New York thing down. Yeah, no, I've got the attitude. I've got the, the lack of patience. Yeah, uh, last, you know. last night we were waiting across the street, and it was uh, like, at least three seconds and john's like i just can't do this no we gotta this go would, this like, would not fly in new york this is not gonna happen <laughs> i don't care if it says walk or don't walk we're going there's no cars what is happening we, right now we gotta roll what are they gonna do hit you right. no let's go i'm important <laughs> yeah, just, i've got a convention to go to <laughs> it was killing me and then even just our conversation so far i'm like you've definitely taken on the new york persona i i have i, I try not to do it too much uh because it's but when you compare it to the rest of the country it's definitely uh, the New York attitude, yeah. uh, even just, just a little bit, is a lot when you get out of New York. Right. It's just, I need a little but, bit quicker. I need it done this way. Yeah. And it's not beating around the bush. And how come you're messing this up? <laughs> yeah, exactly. When I ask you what time it is, tell me what time it is. Don't tell me how the watch is made or right. where it's from. Or uh, I don't want to talk about the weather, right. how your mom's doing. No, just let's go. Let's get you know? it going. Yeah. Yeah. That's hilarious. So we're done with this podcast, right? We're Good done. Night. Okay. Bye. <laughs> Why did you take so long? <laughs> right. This, that, that was twice as long as I thought it was going right. to be. Enough about you, Rick. <laughs> <laughs> when, you, when you first moved to New York, I mean, you'd been doing the clubs for a while, so you had some income going, and you had yeah. a pretty good schedule. Yes. Did you find that when you first got there, you still had to be gone a lot to support being there? Yeah. Well, being in New York is really weird because it's it's whole it's a whole new uh, world in and of itself. Uh, completely, whatever you did before moving to New York almost doesn't matter at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's as if you you're transferring colleges and none of your credits transfer. Um, so you come in and you're the new guy. So if somebody's been doing comedy for a year, but it's all in New York, they're considered ahead of you because they know them more than you. Right Now, the good opportunity that I had is that when you get in there and you do have that opportunity to get on stage, oh, well, you know what you're doing. And also a lot of the people that you met doing the road uh, are now live in New York so you can hang out and they can vouch for you as well so that helps but it but it certainly is very hard um, going in and you're the new guy so you know it's a lot of hanging out a lot of networking uh, very little stage time and as far as paid stage times goes forget about it right but um, yeah so I mean it, it is a little bit of an adjustment uh, from that perspective and you know I'm still the new guy because everybody and their brother is funny uh, in you know uh, some dinky town in Nebraska for two weeks. Right. And then, well, I'm going to move to New York. 
And so they move to New York and then they get their butt handed to them and they move back. So everyone in New York meets somebody. Yeah, I just moved here. Yeah, okay, we'll see. And yeah. they want to see if you can. Yeah, last yeah. The first so, year so then when the- you, you know, hey, that John Garrett's still here five years later. I guess he's real. Right. You know? So so now it's like, oh, okay, maybe we'll give him some opportunities. And yeah, it makes sense from their point of view. I mean, why sure. invest time in somebody that's not going to be here next week, maybe? Right, right. Yeah. Or isn't good enough. They shouldn't be here, right. you know, in New York. Uh, you know, why did you move here? Get funny on your own and then come here with, you know, a little bit of legs under you. But don't wait too long because then you're going to be, you know, above that. And then it's going to be really hard to make that adjustment. But like you said, too, it, it is weird because you don't make a lot of money in mm-hmm. New York. Uh, you make your money away from New York, but you move to New York to be seen. But then you have to go away to make money. So it's just like really it's tricky, conflicting. Uh, so yeah. most of your sets in the city would be on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday before you headed out of town. Exactly. Exactly. Whenever other comic in the world was trying to get the same stage time too before they headed out of town. Right. Right. Or there's a lot of guys that just do New York only. Um, and they're the guys that when they go on the road, it's it's. It doesn't apply because you can't go to Dayton, Ohio and talk about the subway right. or any sort of Northeast joke in the same way that I can't come from the Midwest to New York and talk about uh, crockpots yeah, or driving strawberries. Yeah, yeah. Picking <laughs> strawberries. Like any joke, like half of my material when I moved there didn't work because no one cooks and no one drives a car and no one knows what Arby's is. And no, I mean, all these jokes that I had, had references to that fell flat. And so it's... It's, it's, it's this bizarro world that's in and of itself. And, and, and you have a lot of foreigners that are coming. Mm-hmm. I did a show once where there were maybe uh, 40 people in the audience and uh, 25 of them were from Denmark. And you're like, I'm out of fjord jokes. I don't know what to talk about right now. Right. And so it really forces you to write a lot. And uh, you know a lot of the, the relationship stuff, but it's from your own point of view, so it's not hacky. And you know things that a lot of people can relate to, whether they're you know foreign or, or not. Yeah, universal themes right right know. a lot of visitors or vi- you know people from out of town so then, then you have the new yorkers people from the bronx that are going to beat you up after the show like i mean it's just this weird mix of of you have no idea what you're walking into and also the shows are three hours long and it's a showcase so you know when you're when you're in the midwest uh the comedy clubs are three comedians usually uh the mc feature headliner and the other comedians are there for the whole show so you can see what happens when the MC's on stage or when the features on stage and as a headliner you can adjust but uh, when you walk into a club um, and you didn't see the beginning of the show you don't know who's in the audience and then you know the MC if he's good will tell you well there's a group from here or whatever but then you get on stage you're like oh, I don't know what's happening I don't know what jokes those guys did before me uh, or what reference or whatever right. and, and so it's it's a weird thing and then and then you do your set and then you get your $25 and then you leave and so you don't even know how the show ended you know <laughs> so it's just, the, in the taxi yeah cab yeah if you're in the set. middle yeah yeah you're on your cab doing the next set or the subway or, or you're going home because it's like I'm not gonna hang out here like right. you know I don't know anybody who's you know whatever so so, yeah, it's, it's a different world. It's a different uh, atmosphere. It's it's a weird thing. That would be weird walking into a th- the middle of a three-hour show. It's like yeah. grabbing the helm of a ship and having no idea where you're going, right? what the right speed is, what the obstacles are, yeah. you know. Or wh- what they've been through as a group. Right. You know, or, you know so I get up and uh, it was about a month before I was getting married and I had some jokes about planning the wedding and all that. And I'm like, yeah, so I'm getting married in about a month. And this lady's like, oh, and I guess she just got divorced. Right. And, you know, of course, every other comedian's been divorced. So the couple of guys before me were talking about that, whatever. So I come in all happy about getting married, and she's like, "Ugh," you know. And I'm like, "What? What? What happened? Like, I don't know what's going on right now." And uh, yeah, because I didn't know, you right. know, what what had happened. And how yeah. long did it take you to get like kind of the the lay of the land, you know? which clubs you can get to from this time to that time to pick up the sets where you hanging out with other comics kind of tagging along with them the first yeah, few weeks that really I mean for the first year yeah. I mean it's and then you know there's I think 14 comedy clubs in Manhattan and so you have to figure out the ones that uh a lot of hanging out at you know well this is one that I can hang out at and these are my kind of people and then other ones that are well this is definitely not my scene right. um, or you know ones that are you know well the comedy club manager really takes advantage of people and makes them go bringer shows they call it where you have to have 10 people come to the show pay to get in buy two drinks and you don't get paid anything but if you don't have your 10 people then you don't get to go on stage and we haven't really talked about that this and much on this podcast 
podcast. Tell them about the Bringer Show. Like, uh, Bringer shows are you're getting. The, tell them where you get the people from. Oh yeah, on the street. <laughs> yeah. You're just on the street. Hey, who wants to see a comedy show? Anybody want to see a comedy? And luckily, they told me early on, do not do that because I had had enough experience where I don't need to do that. Um, but some places won't use you unless you do that and so then you realize well that's not a place for me i mean but you know until you do it then you realize that's not for me you know right. kind of like uh when you're coming up in the midwest you know like a bar gig or you know whatever and you and you do it and you're like eh, maybe that's not my thing um so then you know going forward that bar gigs aren't for me so you politely decline or whatever you right. know or if it's a corporate event if you're dirty or you know whatever it is you know you do one and then you figure out yeah i'm not comfortable doing these and and you figure that out and with the clubs in new york as well and and you know and i don't know i feel bad for those guys that but that's their only opportunity to get stage time where luckily i'm able to go on the road on the weekends or you know do these corporate events or what have you so i'm not hurting for stage time um so you know, I don't have to do that. Right. But at the same and, time, you want to kind of make that connection with some of those clubs. Right. So you don't have to go on the road. Right. You know? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So it is this double-edged sword that you're always fighting. It's, uh, yeah. And have you had to follow anybody? Like, here, here comes Chris Rock. To yeah, do yeah. Set, Louis C.K. Uh, uh, and actually, uh, my audition at the comic strip, uh, I followed uh, Sherrod Small, who was on VH1, where are they now? To, or, uh, you know, a lot of those shows. Yeah, yeah. And he's a very... Uh, dynamic speaker uh, he's Chris Rock's cousin um, and uh, yeah uh, wow uh, that was that's totally different uh, yeah or uh, yeah Louis CK came in and so they and actually uh, Pat Dixon who's a friend yeah, of ours that yeah. worked the road and and so he was hosting the show at the comic strip and Louis CK comes in he's gonna do Letterman or something so he wanted to just try some stuff out so you know of course he goes up bumps me a little bit and so uh, so then luckily Pat was really great because he's uh, he's like yeah so you know that's Louis CK uh, so this next guy really really funny I've known him for years works clubs all over the country uh, you know XM serious uh, you know, he, he's not Louis C.K., so don't be a jerk. All right, here he is, John Garrett. <laughs> and, uh, of course, it was Pat, so he used a different word than jerk. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, it was, uh, it was really funny. Um, and the, crowd, the crowds are really good because they're sophisticated enough to know, yeah, you're not him, but we like you anyway, you know, and, and they, they give you a shot at that. But sometimes it is hard because the guy before you is such a different contrasting style right that it's like wow i mean if this guy is talking to the crowd and running around and whatever and then me you know where i'm you know very much um you know dial it down uh, yeah yeah, yeah. uh lower energy and so it, it is something but if you have that confidence and you you know you know what you're doing then you know they'll come along and you've got lower energy maybe but you've got as much intensity as anybody yeah well i appreciate it yeah i mean it, it's it's almost like a not a nervous energy, but you know, sort of this, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's good. And, and you just, it really works on, you work on writing and, and getting those good jokes and the crowds will come along, you know, with you, um, for that. And if you're likable, right. you know, and, and the, the one thing in New York that's really different though, is, is these, uh, you know, on the road, when you do 30 minutes, 45 minutes, uh, all the jokes kind of blend together and they're, they're all like one big story mm -hmm. and, and some of them are really high and, and lows and, you know, higher energy, bigger laughs, whatever. And so in New York, there's a lot of, because you're only doing maybe seven minute sets or 10 minute sets, there's a lot of non sequitur, you know, here's a one minute joke about this and then a two minute joke about something completely unrelated and then unrelated, unre you know, and then by, by the end, I'm like, what's, I don't even know what this guy's talking about anymore, right. but they're all funny jokes, but they don't really blend together no and it's not a package. Yeah. I don't know who this guy is when he gets off stage, which to me as a comedian is what I'm trying to do is when I'm done, you know who I am, right? You know, I know who that guy is and I, I like that, you know, he made me laugh, but I also got to know who he is as opposed to just make you laugh you know like like when you eat some cotton candy it looks huge and it's big but then when you put it in your mouth it just dissolves and it disintegrates to a couple of granules of sugar and then it's gone and you're like i don't even know where did that go i'm like, sure that was a good decision right yeah right exactly <laughs> and a lot of comedians that yeah they can make you laugh really really hard but they they don't make you think or they don't make you feel or or you don't get to know who that person is and it's and it's a weird thing um it is because because all of those are okay right and to some right. members of the crowd that aren't comedians they're just there to have a good time right but 
I'm I'm a hundred percent in the belief that if you can't find your people, if your people don't know who you are, right. And right. so the more clearly you define it, the more people need to gravitate towards it. And it's okay to shake loose a few people that aren't your crowd. Right. Oh, no, most definitely. Like, yeah. I've always been an advocate of I am not lowest common denominator c- comedian. And I'm okay with that because uh, that's the way that I write. I look at, we all graduated high school. Most of us attended some sort of a post-high school education. Uh, we can read and say normal words. And so we're gonna start here and then work our way forward. Right. I'm not gonna pick up the slack of the people that, you know, whatever, are, if you're falling behind, then you're off the wagon, I'm sorry, but I've got 80% of you and we're gonna pick up the rest along the way. Right. Uh, you know, and that's so, a confidence thing too, they probably, yeah. came over time right i right. think when we all first start we're trying to just be crowd pleasers get exactly laugh and then we're, exactly. not, we're not even thinking about who we are yet or any of that stuff right no most definitely and, and, it, and it does come with confidence and comes with time and but they are conscious decisions that you have to make as you're writing is this is who i am and these are where my jokes are coming from and, and it isn't something that comes uh, quickly i mean it's maybe five seven years where you, you you're slowly figuring out what people will buy from you is basically it. I can't get on stage and talk about being from the ghetto right. and whatever. No, no, you're not. You know, you're not that guy. And so, you know, there's very few people that can pull off a character, you know, like a Larry the Cable Guy or something like that. 99% of the time, this is who we are and this is what we're talking about and this is our point of view about that. And that's the most important thing is the, not just what's funny, but my point of view about this right. is, is what you're trying to tell people because that's what they associate with and that's what they remember they're not going to remember your name they're going to be like that's the guy that talked about this or you know me you know that's the guy that was the accountant or the guy that hates sweater vests or you know whatever i have my thing on or the guy with the the trips to human resources you know that that that's what they're going to remember they're not going to remember john garrett right um and so you know if it's if it's something like that then and they can't remember jokes after a show i'm sure you've been to plenty where people come up and be like I really like that joke you did about well that was actually his joke not um, only that, that <laughs> this is the one I get all the time is I must have 10 different jokes in an hour show where I talk about living in Nashville yeah and at the end I'm like man you're hilarious where are you from right. <laughs> I mean, I, every show you somebody go. comes up where no. are you from it's amazing how little people listen I mean from doing comedy I, or, or you tell a joke and you have specific words that you use in your joke and then what happens is, is those words go into people's ears and then they get rearranged and put into the words that they would use and, and then put into the buckets that they've already got in their brain and then they drop it in to what they think so you know I have a joke about a woman I used to work with named Kelly and she doesn't like to exercise a whole lot and so people will come up and be like well I, I didn't like that fat joke and I'm like well I didn't even say the word fat so maybe you should be mad at yourself because right. you're the one who made it. I just said she doesn't like to exercise that could be anybody and the joke isn't even about that it's not even about her being bigger i mean it, it that's that's i don't know what your problem is right now yeah and I, uh, it's i used to have a whole song called that's why i'm not a woman yeah and really every single line of that song was about how stupid guys are right every single line 16 yeah. punch lines yeah and then i can't tell you how many times ladies would come up that was the meanest song i've ever heard I'm like, <laughs> I'm like for your boyfriend right because that was who i right. make making they never heard right any right of that. it's actually the meanest song that you haven't heard lady <laughs> yeah, yeah. because you didn't listen to it <laughs> it's the meanest song you've watched right, right, right but not right, connected with on any right, level right or made an effort to oh uh, it's so frustrating it's so frustrating sometimes and you mentioned a second ago that you you had some accounting jokes you came from a, an accounting background which is yeah. a big part of what you do now yeah in your corporate presentations yeah. tell us a little bit about how first off what what day what, what went off on the one night where you said i got to try comedy because you'd been doing accounting for a while out of college yeah i uh, graduated college uh passed the cpa exam um was working for one of the big four, uh, if anyone knows what that means. And, and North uh, Carolina, Duke, Kentucky, or, right, or Kansas. Right, 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 exactly, exactly. <laughs> or if you're in Philly, uh, Temple, St. Right. Joe's, you know, Nova. Uh, yeah, but uh, uh, yeah, so like uh, PricewaterhouseCoopers and uh, working there in the corporate job, doing well, uh, promoted early. Um, everything was great, but uh, I needed some sort of a creative outlet. And uh, it was really funny because uh, we were at a training in Los Angeles for uh, four weeks. And um, so on uh, uh, Thursday nights, 
I think it was, it was either Wednesday or Thursday night. Uh, the Improv in Hollywood would have uh, the Whose Line Is It Anyway group yeah, yeah. come down. So like Drew Carey, Brian, uh, uh, or Brad, uh, Brad Garrett, Brad Gar- or not Brad Garrett, Brad, uh, uh, Colin Mockery, uh, Styles, Brad Styles, I think, or and. Um, yeah, whatever. I can't remember their name. Not Wayne Brady. All the other guys. They would come down and do an unrated, like, no-filter show for, like, 45 minutes. And before and after was Showcase. So you see these stand-ups in Hollywood. And some of them were lights-out amazing. And some of them were uh, not that funny at all. And I thought, well, I can be as not funny yeah. as that guy. <laughs> yeah. And this is L.A. And I lived in St. Louis at the time. So that's even less funny, right. you would think, naturally. But of course, now that I'm in stand-up, that means nothing. Um, cause you can move to a city for free. Um, so, uh, so yeah. So in my head I was like, I could, yeah, I could be as not funny as that guy. I, I, I would not be the worst person that's ever done this. Right. And so I actually talked after one of the shows with Vince Morris Yeah. and, uh, talked with Vince and it was hilarious because I, uh, I was just like, how do you get into this? And he said, well, you just go to an open mic and you record your show and then you listen to it and then you make changes and you go up and do it again and again and again and again. And and, I mean, that's the difference between me and and the person listening to this and Jerry Seinfeld is that I've said it a thousand times and Jerry said it 10,000 times and it's just more confidence, more natural. Mm -hmm. You can interrupt him and he'll get right back into it as smoothly as possible. And it seems, you know, like he's not even trying Crying and right. it's off the top Seems of his head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, uh, so I was like, "All right, great." And so I, I went, and um, about two months later, you know, and of course at the training, people are like, "Oh, you should do that, man. You should." And then outside, I'm all humble, like, "Oh, really?" And inside, I'm like, "Hell yeah, I should." Uh-huh. And I mean, what what do I have to lose? Nothing. And so I went to the open mic in the St. Louis Funny Bone, Westport Plaza, and uh, signed up. And uh, yeah, it was uh, it was great. Um, the first time went really, really well. Uh, the second time, not as well, because I didn't understand that the audience isn't like your friends where you can go off on tangents mm-hmm. and then come back. Not at a comedy club. Get to the laugh right now. We don't know you. Make us laugh and go to it where with your friends, you can go off on tangents. You can come back, whatever. And people don't, you know, they'll come along with the ride because right. they're like, well, we know you, we trust you. But at a comedy club, they don't trust you. So you got to go to that. And so I would go off on tangents and come back for the laugh and it wouldn't happen because they forgot what I was talking about because they're not paying attention, which we talked about sure. four minutes ago that maybe somebody missed. No, well, no, yeah, no. I always try to explain like if there's too many directions, there's never misdirection. Right. So if you're going off on tangents, they don't even know which line you're going to curve. That's an excellent point. You're so right. So you have to at least have a solid here here we're going and i took the turn yes and i was you, you uh, can make that seem like it's on tangents but if it's in real time yes. they don't know what where they're going in the first place no they don't because you're doing loop-de-loops and then you make a hard left and they're yeah. like well i thought this was just another loop-de-loop you know yeah, and uh no sense of completion no, they, right right and i learned that the hard way the second time and did you have I, a lot of friends come out the first time to see you i did it was amazing um and it was really funny because at in my cubicle i would took a legal pad that i stole from the supply closet and was writing down lists of like funny stories or ideas or or joke ideas, whatever. And a lot of it was inspired by, you know, like Seinfeld and uh, the Ray Romanos and, you know, the, the clean observational guys at, at the time. And, and so, um, so yeah, I mean, I, uh, it, uh, yeah. And, and, and so the night before I went over to my parents' house and I'm like, you know, so they knew I was going to do it. And, and, uh, so I said, well, you know, I got this list of like 40 ideas and, you know, I'm just trying to decide which ones to do. And so I read through the list and then, granted, I didn't do the jokes. I just said, yeah, the story about this or this, mm-hmm. you know, and then and, and this thing happened. And uh, no responses at all, except for my mom said, you can't say that to one thing. And to another thing, my dad said, we didn't raise you that way. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> uh, I thought all of these were really good and you didn't even smile at any of them. And, and my two favorites you just took out. <laughs> right, exactly. And the two best ones you just said, I can't say. And so I freaked out and I, I after dinner, I went over to my, my buddy's house and we went through it. Like, yeah, that one's pretty funny. Yeah, what about that one? Whatever. So the next day, I go to the thing. My parents are there and I don't know anything about comedy. So of course my mom has the video camera, but she's holding it <laughs> without a tripod because I don't know how that works. Yeah. So my mom's holding the video camera and then all my buddies 
buddies are there and there's like a couple of people from work and whatever and and i mean it was a regular you know open mic at the funny bone and it was really good like brett clausen was there before he passed away uh, matt barons was still doing comedy mm-hmm. then uh, and quite a few other guys this was before tommy jonigan but uh but yeah it was uh yeah it was fun and um it was great and my mom the video is me telling the joke my mom laughing so hard the camera is shaking like an earthquake is happening and it's so funny because they were laughing the hardest and just 24 hours ago you weren't smiling at any of this and it's because i didn't do the whole joke i'm up on stage i have lights you know it's like i'm doing the real thing and yeah it was it was a really cool thing to not suck i mean of course in relative to everybody else when you're new you're you're not great i mean let's face it it's a brand new thing you don't go out and play in the nfl your first day you know you got to practice and you got to get good unfortunately we can't practice on our own we have to practice in front of strangers and get repeatedly punched in the face that's the one tricky part about this particular art form oh yeah there's really no other way even plays and stuff they can rehearse and rehearse for months right the crowd shows up and it works you know right it's every single time right and people in a play or people in a cover band they didn't write any of that no and they've got got other people around them to support them in case they fall exactly and we are on our own with our own ideas with our own writing and if you didn't write it then don't say it it's that simple and you just go up there and here's what i think and sometimes people are going to like it and sometimes they're not and it's really insulting and when i was new i was more clever than funny um, you know, more wordplay, not necessarily puns because those are dumb, but like, you know, just it was more clever than it was funny, mm-hmm. like well-written. I see where you're going with that, but, not a real twist, but I'm not laughing. Yeah. You know, it's not hilarious. And so it was frustrating because I would go up with this really well-written stuff and then some guy would go up there and basically tell a story about how he pooped his pants and then there's a midget that comes out of nowhere <laughs> right. and whatever. And the crowd is laughing and <laughs> right. like a guy's on the floor rolling and he's laughing so hard. And I'm in the back like, no, like this is not, he didn't even try. Like what is happening? He had zero preparation. What is happening? And so then I realized, like, you just got to make it funny. So now I have a midget in every one of my jokes. The guy comes with the accounting firm as a midget. Exactly. Uh, So my manager, did I mention he's a midget? And then, no, it's just just crazy how, how you just learn the hard way and and yeah and i mean every one of your favorite comedians you know nowadays louis ck whatever chris rock jim gaffigan whoever your favorite comedian is uh he was terrible for a while so you just don't get to see all of that and nor um, do you want to well nor do you want to exactly <laughs> well maybe as a comedian you want to because you're like gives you more confidence yeah, maybe going backwards because there are times in new york where i'll see some of those guys come in to try out some stuff and granted uh they're closer mm-hmm. to the the target uh, than we would be, but they're also not all of them are hits, and it's kind of uh, encouraging to see them tell jokes that don't work because yeah. you're like, oh, okay, not everyone is amazing, you know. The, yeah, you the, some figure. of them are uh, are also works in process, right? And they they too need that crowd response to figure out if the art stands up, right? And, absolutely. And as well as, I mean, probably nobody better at putting together jokes since the guys you mentioned, yeah. Oh yeah. Technically, they could be perfect, but they still have to connect. There's all those other levels of comedy that right. they have to connect. They they either have to agree strongly or disagree. There can't be kind of a middle ground where they don't care about your joke. Exactly. There's exactly. a lot of things. That Which come is why you play. have to bring your point of view to to these jokes because otherwise they're just jokes that you throw out into the air and then it, well whatever i mean but i mean those are the things that you know on, on the internet that go viral or the things that get retweeted or whatever are, are edgy i mean this ann coulter thing with the the world cup mm-hmm. i mean she has yeah. a point of view that's the most ignorant thing i mean it's not even a political thing it's it's just about soccer being dumb and i mean it i you can't even it's not even an argument it's just it's the craziest thing i've ever read in my life and but people are talking about it because it's this point of view that's that she takes a stance and so you know here's my rod and you pick a side and you know there's no middle ground where she's like well soccer's okay and whatever right. because no one would talk about that no. middle ground is boring exactly it's very boring and so you know but it doesn't mean that you have to be edgy it just means that you have to bring your own edge you know i mean uh you have to have a strong premise period. yeah that's yeah, what it yeah. boils down to you have right. to have a strong statement right or else you right. can't have anything you can't if you start wacky you can't add wacky to wacky right no that's you start strong point. you can go anywhere with that because right. you've got that foundation that polarizes it's it's a point of reference right 
Right, because they need to know where you're coming from to know where we're. So then, when you go somewhere, they know that we went, we took another step. Right, and then you have, to, then you have to be consistent in where you're putting those stakes. Right, Along nine times path. out of ten, occasionally yes. you want to switch up just to do it, but right, you cannot have an inauthentic voice. Yeah, you know, after you just really were honest about something, then you throw it all out the window for the sake of a punchline. Right, you right, see, and you see guys do that. Yeah, and so oh, yeah. I, I, I'm sure I'm guilty of it still at some points, but I'll realize it. Yeah, like I, I really am super aware of where the jokes appear in my show, mm-hmm. and I I I'd mess with it and I, I move things around to see where they can work, you know. But I definitely know there's some jokes that just do not work in the first twenty minutes. Oh, definitely, definitely. You know, there's some jokes that only work in the first five minutes. Right, and, right. And anytime I get out of that loop now is when my shows aren't the strongest. Right, right. And, and so I don't mind tweaking that sometimes and, and failing a little bit so I can learn from it. But man, it, it's so key to have that authentic flow. Yeah, and like this point of view would only make sense after they've heard these other three things. Most definitely, especially you know, like uh, they have to get to know who you are before you can do some of those jokes that are not controversial, but um, you know, with words that may be a little charged. Uh, yeah, or if you're you, talking about you know, like the song about you know how. Uh, glad I'm not a woman. You can't do that right out of the gate, right? Because whoa, what are you talking about, buddy? Yeah. You know, get to know him a little bit, and then realize, well, he's not this chauvinist jerk. And so let's listen to the song and hear what he's actually saying. Right. Unless you're this woman that's going to want to argue anyway. And that's another thing that's kind of annoying to me is how everyone wants to be offended nowadays. Yeah. And man, I did a show in Bermuda, which you'll never do if you do comedy clubs. But if you're clean and you can do some of these corporate events. Um, so I, I, they flew me to Bermuda and it was no one from America, maybe three people from America. Uh, the other 197 people were from South Africa and Kenya in Australia and Canada and the UK and it was the best show because no one was looking to be offended uh, they knew that these are jokes this is entertainment there's no real meaning behind the joke you're not trying to uh, you know change the world no agenda. it's just your opinion on this and we're gonna take it at that and it's funny and then move on yeah what did you mean by that joke I meant that it's funny and that it's an- it annoys me when this happens that's what i meant right don't try and read into well because you said this you must mean this and you know it's so annoying to, americans to, get caught up in a lot of that oh yeah it's so yeah. frustrating to me where I, I i never even thought of that in a million years i i'm actually angry that you thought of that now. Yeah. i'm offended that you're offended i'm offended that you're offended and i'm offended that i couldn't figure that ahead of time right, right. in a way to disarm that right that has never ever entered my mind before right right i'm not dumb enough to be smart enough to figure out whatever the hell you just said <laughs> like what the hell it's so crazy and, and and so that's you know another big pet peeve of mine is you know when when and, but you know on the flip side you have comedians that are pushing the envelope or they're being shocking for no reason right you know why do you have to use words you know like uh you know it, it, it seems like a lot of female comedians now want to talk about rape or incest or whatever why why are you talking about that i mean you know because you think that the crowd's gonna laugh because it's such a huge shocking word that that's the only response is laugh um but is it really funny or are you just saying that to get a cheap laugh and yeah you know i mean you could see those jokes coming from a mile away once you've been doing comedy for a little bit you can then you have to ask the question why would you want to disarm a truly sensitive topic yeah. If you're a female, right, and make it seem like it's not that big of a deal, like a trivial thing, yeah, right. You should right. you should allow things that are intense to remain intense. I mean, I guess yeah. it's 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 okay to do. It's just not where I would ever think about. Right, it. right. I mean, if that's what you want to do, but have a meaning of why you're doing this. Yeah. Uh, you know, very few of those jokes are like, oh wow, that's actually a really good joke. Right. You know, instead, it's you just said that word because that's the only way you could get a laugh on that story and you know um then you smile after and it's all cute and you move on to your next thing right and it's yeah and and you know why are you and you know and then you know guys that want to whatever i mean it just don't be edgy for the sake of being edgy if that's who you really are and you're edgy off stage and all the time and probably have no friends because you're like that (laughs) then then you know be that guy i mean who you are off stage is who you want to be on stage but you want to take that little piece of you that's different than everybody else and then magnify that i mean you know like uh, i'm obviously uh i mean i was an accountant i was in the marching band in college uh you know i'm, I'm super square um, chick magnet you're describing chick all the magnet. qualities of these ladies yes 
You better believe it. <laughs> My wife was in the chess club, so she thinks I'm pretty awesome. Oh, so, <laughs> but uh, so you know, it's just you have to take uh, that little piece of you and magnify that. So I'm this like uh, a lady referred to me as adorably obnoxious, which is perfect. You know, I'm that guy in the office that you love as a coworker, but if you're my manager, you hate me. But I'm somewhat nerdy, but I'm not really, I mean, I don't, you know, I'm not Star Trek, Dungeons and Dragons type of nerdy, you're but but on stage, I magnify that nerdy right. a little bit just to be like, you know, plus it is interesting how in comedy, the crowd wants to be above you. They want to feel superior to you. That's when laughter happens. When your friend is telling you a story and you laugh at it, it's because, oh my God, I'm glad I'm not you. You know, your friend fell and did this and ripped his pants or whatever happened. You laugh at that story because you're, I'm glad I'm not you. And because you feel superior to, to that person, that's why you're laughing. And they they were vulnerable to allow that to happen. Right, yeah. yeah. They were vulnerable enough to tell you that story right. that, you know, and so when you're on stage, you want to be that vulnerable person and that's you know when when you're poor or maybe overweight or maybe have a, a sad story or had a rough upbringing or you know what have you you you're the the crowd naturally feels superior to you well i'm not you i'm, I'm not poor i know i don't have this problem whatever and so when you're up on stage talking about that but as a tall skinny educated white male it is hard to for the crowd to feel well what is your problem yeah, what no are you empathy. complaining about and and so for me i have to disarm that by being this nerdy guy that look your girlfriend can also beat me up right you know basically right. <laughs> so you know so you know that's that's how i choose to disarm that and you know you can see conan is a similar way where mm -hmm. he's just quirky whatever and you're not threatened by conan i mean but that dude is wicked smart he's tall as hell i mean he's in shape and it's like you know what is wrong with that guy right. nothing but he's just super quirky so he completely disarms it and and so you you learn that though and, and it's a, an interesting thing but but i mean that's you have to find that piece of you that is different than everybody else because you don't want to be the next so-and-so you know the next when we were coming up the next dane cook or right. the next louis ck or, or the, the next, next bob newhart yeah right right counting. well you know, i could describe you as as bob newhart on red bull on red bull there yeah. you go yeah. well you've got it, the intensity of the red bull the smarts of bob newhart bob, and you both had the accounting background. bob newhart on red bull is just means that you move like that's basically <laughs> that like oh you, that guy moved down. three steps um <laughs> he did both sides of the conversation on the phone um but uh and, no, yeah. and phones don't look like that anymore yeah exactly exactly <laughs> Doesn't look like you're from Texas, <laughs> right? Right. <laughs> Hook them horns, right? Right. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so uh, yeah, I mean, that's just the thing is, in, in, because you have to be the first Rick Roberts, you have to be the first John Garrett, you have to be the first whatever. But naturally, when you're new, you're going to imitate those ones that you look up to, and then eventually you get that confidence, and then you become yourself. And uh, then they pass away, and then you are that guy. Right, right, and then you're that guy. And hey. then you change your name. Comedy is cyclical. Uh, right, 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 <laughs> right. The next John Garrett is probably 12 out there right now listening. And he's right. Like, yeah, he's like, yeah, see, I told you chicks dig that. He's like, do I have to get a degree in accounting first? <laughs> right. Yes, Maybe I'll yes, you do. It. Take that class on. I think all comedians should have to get a degree in accounting so they can stop asking me tax questions. Let's, well, that, let's, uh, let's dig into that first. <laughs> So I got it paid in cash, and don't even tell me. I don't want to hear it. La, la, now, la, your la, mileage la. on a way to a paying gig, is that different from your mileage on a way to a charity gig? Well, let's say I'm donating my time to the charity, but I wrote on the taxi. Is that Right, right, right. I will ask you this, though, because we, we touched on a little bit just t hanging out yesterday. Um, you, you come from a world of spreadsheets. Yeah. Um, and one of my writing classes, I show them just a different way, some different ways you can keep track of your jokes. I show them some spreadsheet things sure. you can do just to kind of categorize or what have you. Right. Are there any things that you do that you think you would not have done had you not had the accounting background that you use to apply to your comedy in that way in some, some sense? Um, Whether it's marketing yourself or the business side of it or keeping track of it? Most definitely the business side. I mean, you know, you hear that line, uh, it's show business. And that's true. I mean, I have friends of mine that are so funny. There's a guy out of Milwaukee named Tyler Kroll who's so funny that doesn't even do comedy hardly at all anymore. And he just couldn't get his brain around the business side of it. He was so creative and so funny, but he just couldn't, uh, you know, make those calls or, you know, uh, 
you have to be driven to want to do that side of it as well. And so you, you have to realize that, you know, it is a business and that, you know, you're a brand. And when a brand is, is new, uh, you have to sell the hell out of it. Um, which I'm not good at talking myself up, but you can go in and display it. The Stanley Steamer guy comes in and just, you know vacuums your carpet, so you can do that. You go in and do a great show, and you just learn from that and, and do a better show next time and a better show next time. And you have to be very professional about it. It's a job. I mean, it really is a job. It looks like it's so fun, and it is the best job on the planet, but it's also the hardest job on the planet. I'm the CEO. I'm the secretary. I'm the head of marketing but I'm also the product. So I have to figure out the strategy of where we're going, make the phone calls as the secretary, sell myself as the, the marketing guy, and then go in and deliver the product, which is also still me. And so it's it's very hard to put on all those hats, if you will, and, and you have to stay organized and know okay, this is who I called. And, you know, this comedy club likes me to call on the first of the month. This comedy club likes to book three months in advance. This comedy club, this, this comedy, you know, so you have to realize that's how it is. Now, you know, it's, it's, it is, it's, it's also a weird business, so it's not a corporate type of world, but, but you, it is a job and you have to approach it as a job uh, to that extent because uh, all the big names are doing that. They, they make it look like they're just hanging out, but it's just like all the rap songs you hear. What Did they just sit on the porch and smoke weed all day? No, right. you didn't become ludicrous on accident. Right. You know, I mean, they're, they're out there working very, very hard and, and, and making that happen. And so I guess coming from that corporate background or having a job, you know, I you know it, it, that, that stereotype of, of comedians deliver pizzas and but no, not at all. I mean, you go to New York. There's guys that graduated law school. I mean, Greg Giraldo was a law school grad. I mean, there's plenty of law school guys out there. Gary Goldman was accounting major. Um, you know, there's me. There's Jeff Caldwell was engineering. Right, I mean, right. you know, so all these guys that are have degrees from great schools that are uh, uh, you know smart, very good comedians um, that you know, came from that world. So it's okay to do that, you know, to, to make that leap. It's just really, really scary because you don't have that security anymore. And if you don't do it, no one else is, you know, when you work in a corporate job, you can come in and you can kind of mail it in for half you can, a day. You get two weeks where you can be away from work and being paid for it. Well, that somebody too. else can do your job. That, that too. never, never happens in comedy. No, never happens in comedy. Right. No, you can't take a day off. And, but it is hard because when I first left, and was doing this full time. I mean, it was eating me up because every minute of every day I was just doing this and hustling and whatever. And you have to turn your brain off and be like, okay, it's six o'clock. I'm done. I'm going to go hang out with friends and whatever and, and just have a life. Because that's the other thing that I also tell younger comedians is, you know, the, the people in the audience have corporate jobs and they have these jobs. So if you get up there and talk about delivering pizzas, they don't know what you're talking about. Right. Or if you talk about, so you, they went to college, they did this, they, you know, so if you talk about those things because you also did them, then you can relate to them right away and then you can go zero to 60. But if you're talking about things that they can't relate about, then I don't even know why you're up there. I mean, you know, they're, they're, that's the number one thing is to make that connection. And this, I think the same sense on the end of that is, like you were talking about taking six o'clock, hitting, hitting the place with your friends. If you don't have life experiences beyond comedy right. and only talk about comedic experiences on stage, you'd lose them. Right, right. I you mean, know, it's the same. So you same, still go do stuff. Yeah, it's that New York comedian that goes out to the Midwest and talks about riding the subway. These people have only seen that on TV. They have no idea what it's like. They think Jared is the only, they only connect subway right. with Jared. Yeah, exactly. They think of the sandwiches as a He was eating a sandwich train. next to that guy? What? <laughs> yeah. So that guy yeah. made a lot of money to invest all that into subway. Right, 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 right. <laughs> He's doing quite well. He bought trains with his money from the sandwiches? Let's talk before we wrap up about the, the day where you did decide that, okay, it is scary, but I'm going to leave this corporate environment oh. the womb of security. <laughs> or did somebody, you weren't fired, right? Or were well, you, no, but you know? it's a pretty awesome story. Let's, let's wrap it's with this. It's a pretty day. awesome story. Uh, so uh, I was working this corporate job in Indianapolis, and uh, they brought in a new manager from outside uh, about six months before. And obviously, I'm uh, a, a unique person. And I always referred to comedy as my career and accounting as my job. And they couldn't quite wrap their brain around that. But um, so they bring in this new manager and I always did great work. Um, it was always done right and before deadline and, uh, you know, new ideas and making things better. Um, but uh, 
So this new manager was one of these guys that would give you an assignment and then always look over your shoulder, which makes me turn into a five-year-old. So basically, every time I saw him coming, I would bring up the ESPN.com website. So I just had it minimized. I would do my work, but then every time I'd see him coming, I would pop it up. So he thought all I did was read ESPN all day, even though I was producing deliverables, you know, Uh doing my work. uh, He's, I don't know how, he's like, how does he get his work done when all he does is read ESPN? Like, what is happening? And so... He secretly was writing down these things in a file and uh, everything that I would do, uh, you know, if I said something like, oh, the Treasury Department's so stupid, you know, he would write this down. And, uh, and so it, one day, all of a sudden, he calls in his boss, the director who liked me. And uh, so the three of us have this meeting in this conference room. Now, mind you, everyone else loves me. All my coworkers love me. And so they're all kind of huddled outside the door because they're like, what's happening? And so this guy's like, well, basically, I'm going to bring you to HR. And I said, well, I don't know why you would human resources. And I, I don't understand why. And so he says, well, here, I have a list of things. And I, well, I would love to hear them. And this is a guy who also would say things that were blatant sexual harassment. I mean, right out of the video. And yet, no, like, there's no... So he says, well, you know, on this day, you said Treasury's so stupid. Yeah, I did. I mean, I would say it again. You know, I'll say it right now. I mean, uh, they make mistakes all the time and it makes my job harder. And I just say it out loud. Well, that's very demoralizing for the team and whatever. And I go, well, uh, well, what about the time when you said this about that good lady? And he goes, well, that's not the intent of this meeting. And I turned to the director and I go, well, when can I have my meeting about him? Because this is ridiculous. Because right. everything he brought up, I was like, yeah, I said it and I'll say it again. I don't know why this is a problem. I don't, I'm, I'm, I, I, what are you talking about right now? And so, uh, so anyway, so finally about, you know, go through about five of these and I just say, you know what, this is ridiculous. And so I, I just turned to the, uh, the director and I go, are we, are we done here? And he's like, I, I don't know. And then I go, well, uh, you know what? I think, uh, I think I'm good because uh, this isn't really the intent of this meeting. And I just walk out and I just went to my, my cube and I shut it down and everyone's like, what's happening? What's happening? I go, well, I don't know. And I'm off the rest of the day. So I left and I came back in the next day and I went, they tried to move me to a different department that I didn't want to do. And so I did it for about four days. And then I went to the director and I was like, you know what? I'm out. I think uh, it was a Wednesday. And I was like, yeah, I think on Friday I'm done. I didn't, it wasn't even two weeks. I was Mm -hmm. just like, this is a joke. All of this is the dumbest thing I've ever been a part of. And so I, uh, I was out and I had already decided, you know, I'm just going to try comedy and see what happens. So it was kind of this perfect storm of, I had been on Bob and Tom a couple of times. I was starting to get a lot more bookings. Guys were bringing me along because they liked me. Mm-hmm. I was clean. So I was very good uh, as a middle act. And, and so that was really starting to take off. And at the same time, my corporate job was just this new manager was just sucking the life out of it. And I mean, everyone who was around then uh, quit within the next year and a half uh, because of this guy. So I was just like, but it was funny because it was almost like my Bastille day, you know, it's May 5th, uh, 2005. And it was my, I'm out of here. And then, you Single know, like, the Garrett. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you like, you like, you move, you, you, you march out and then you, you turn around and you're like, I, I'm the only one. Okay. All right. <laughs> no one else on this train. Okay. Son of a gun. Uh, yeah. But it was, uh, yeah, it was a, a weird perfect storm of where you know it just was meant to happen oh, yeah. and um yeah and it's been it's been really really hard but really really rewarding at the same time so and that and, was a uh, while ago right right and uh and then i met you and no no actually i met you before that so it's probably your fault that i quit because i was like if i could if rick roberts is doing this i, I try to be that inspiration to a lot of people <laughs> right. in fact i'll be the first one to tell you if i've made it uh, i started oh. in 91 Oh, there you go. I cannot believe I'm still doing this. 1991. Yeah, the year of our Lord. Wow. <laughs> BC. Yeah. <laughs> and, I, and in just a nutshell, I, I probably told this story before, but I, I walked into my office. I worked at Simon & Schuster, and I just wanted a sign that I should... After one year of, of doing open mics, I was looking for a sign to leave. Wow. And uh, I saw a box in the corner of the room that would fit all the stuff that I had, personal items in my desk, that it would fit in that box, and I could walk out of here today with that. Nice. And I saw that at like 9 in the morning, and at noon, I went to the HR department, and I said, uh, I think I'm, I think this is it. She's like, wow. what do you mean? I'm like, I think today's my last day. Nice. And uh, she goes, oh, what, what's going on? I'm like, I think I want to do comedy. She's like, well... 
the door is always open for you to yeah, come yeah. back. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Everybody's like, well, the, you can come back here. They thought it'd be like the next week. Right, right, right. And I just, that was it. And uh, the only downside of the whole thing is that a friend had hooked me up with a job, and I, I, it probably reflected poorly on him and his father. Right, You right. know, like I should have honored a two-week out. Right, But I, right, right. I was looking for a sign. And I, yeah, 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 yeah. And here. it was an empty box. <laughs> an empty box. <laughs> you would have taken any sign by then. Well, I just think, the sun if, is out. I think I'm going to quit. <laughs> what if I'd worked at UPS? Like, <laughs> right, right. There'd been a lot of empty boxes. Like, every day there'd been right, signs, right. and I wouldn't even have seen them. <laughs> right, I, I would have right. seen a volleyball named Wilson roll across. <laughs> right, right. And I said, that's me. Right. That's FedEx, not UPS. Yeah, but, anyway. but you have to have that passion, because if you don't have the passion, no one else will have that passion. And you also have to believe in yourself, because if you, no one else is going to believe in you more than you do yourself and it doesn't have to be cocky and arrogant because that's not good no one wants to be around that it's just that inner self-confidence of you know what you're doing and you know where you're going and just do that and you have to do it within a silo someone else is going to move up faster or they're going to you know maybe have some jokes that they didn't write and so they're going to move up faster but eventually they're going to hit this glass ceiling where you know they're done they're done there and you know that's it where if you build your career on a solid foundation where you work hard and write your own stuff and have a unique point of view it's going to take you longer to get started but then you're going to shoot up right and so that's that's the the hardest part is just to be patient and do your thing only focus on you it's the only thing you can sort of control right and john garrett.com no i'm just and john g comedy.com <laughs> right, right, right we can focus find, on those two things <laughs> and yeah let's get your plugs in so you definitely want to check him out online you heard him he's got great great tips but very funny too he does a, a youtube series called market watch watch where he watches the people that watch the market and makes fun of the media there you go it's, it's very like the smart. daily show for business it's yeah. very funny so make sure you Thanks. subscribe to him on youtube uh check out his uh, john g comedy.com yeah and you'll see what he's up to and uh we got to go to some meetings. Yeah, man. I'm gonna, I need go. a nap. I know. We, we, we had the buffet this morning, and it was excellent, and right. it made me sleepy. Right, right. That's that's why you don't do comedy clubs right there, because... <laughs> right. No, no. Well, thanks very much, John. Thank you, Rick. I really appreciate it. No problem. And uh, for all you guys listening, uh, I'll, I'll talk to you next week. Thanks for subscribing on iTunes, and if you haven't left a comment or a review, please do that so more people can find out about it. Take care. listening to the School of Laughs podcast. If you'd like to hear more School of Laughs podcasts, you can find them on iTunes and Stitcher.com. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. For information on upcoming live and online classes, visit SchoolofLaughs.com. Until next time, stay tuned, stay focused, and stay funny.